It certainly is. Uh, it's well and truly alive. We've got uh, joining us uh, Glenn Munsey. Glenn, uh, hello to you, mate. Uh, it's been a big weekend. And, well, Animo, the big A, he, uh, he got the punters that wanted to take the shorts. They got the job done. Yes, good morning to you, Dave. Good morning to Ronnie, Ray, when he comes on, and all of the listeners. Uh, great to be back at the races on Saturday, and you get spoilt uh, when you get the opportunity to see the quality of horse like Animo in secret. We saw some amazing performances there on Saturday from different horses, and uh, uh, I think the sort of uh, nearly finished uh, level pegging there uh, at the end of the day, the bookie and the putter, uh, it looked a bit ordinary when the twos on chance got rolled in the first. Don was not good. Uh, but they, they kicked back with In Secret and Animo, and uh, funnily enough, the last winner, despite a big drift, it, it was still a popular, uh, a popular horse. And Ray Thomas from the Daily Telegraph is joining us. Uh, Ray, hello to you. Uh, not only on the track have we had plenty of news, but off the track as well. Yeah, good morning, Dave, Ronnie and Glenn. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, a, a big story in the Daily Telegraph today, and I think this is all going to unfold in the New South Wales Supreme Court come February 22 but certainly a really interesting piece really what's happening at senior level and in Australian racing but what's happening on the racetrack as Ronnie and Glenn just said was a really really has whetted the appetite what's coming ahead in, um, in during the autumn carnival we saw a champion in Animo we saw an emerging champion in secret the two-year-old pitcher a couple of freakish performances and of course the first group won of the new year in Melbourne at Sandown was decided in the protest room. So fantastic days racing and to think the autumn carnival is still to come. Can't wait for it, boys. It's certainly. I, I, we obviously do want to talk racing, but it is the front page of a national newspaper, so I do need to ask you about it, Ray. I know you mm. didn't write the, the story. Uh, James uh, wrote it, um, one of your colleagues. Thanks, but yep. mm. uh, from the context of the story, from what you know, it is going to be one of the biggest stories in racing, which some people will say is a little bit uh, of a shame because obviously what's happening on the track and our carnival's about to start, etc. But yep. um, can you give us some more light onto this story and what exactly is it about for our listeners? Okay. Yeah, look, from what I understand, there are some documents that our political reporter James Doherty has obtained and those documents do allege potentially of a, um, a move by interstate racing authorities to essentially form a breakaway group that would isolate New South Wales racing and and uh, they would sort of go it alone and leave New South Wales to do their own thing, so to speak. This is all because of, I guess, guys, the the success and the expansion of the Sydney Spring Carnival, which obviously has upset traditionalists and um, has forced, obviously, the Victorian racing clubs to look at their spring and they've floated a few potential changes which haven't been ratified yet. But uh, I guess, guys, uh, for me, the, the questions this morning are who's behind this? Who are the authors of this, these documents? Um, who are behind this? these moves to potentially isolate New South Wales and are they acting in the best interests of the national racing industry? I guess those questions and a lot more will be answered when this matter does go to mention on February 22 in the New South Wales Supreme Court. From there, Dave, I don't think much will happen that day, but from that moment they'll set a date to hear this case and one of the um, uh, sort of moves with behind this legal action is to see if there are more documents of this nature um, that can be uncovered. So it really is an interesting story and certainly could potentially turn um, racing nationally upside down. 
Well, well Ray, um, for, for want of a better terminology, Racing Australia mm. has been dead in the water for that many years. I can't remember when it actually did anything. Surely mm. now Racing Australia is just, just gone. Well, R- Racing Australia is um, a body that's set up effectively to enforce the rules. So their powers don't go much beyond that. Um, Glenn, in terms of the PRAs, the principal racing authorities of each state, um, they're the ones that administer and run those state industries. Um, the national body effectively is to make sure everyone is complying by the, the Australian rules of racing. So in one respect, they're, they're a bit of a toothless tiger in that regard. But I think this issue goes to the very heart of of um, Australian racing in terms of how the states work together and how they potentially complement each other or compete against each other. And I think... Um, the expansionism and the success of particularly the Sydney Spring Carnival um, has certainly changed the, the racing and wagering landscape in Australia forever. So, look, everyone might want to go back to the good old days. That's not going to happen, is it, Glenn? Because the Everest is here to stay. The Golden Eagle is here to stay. New races like the Hunter and the Gong are here to stay. So I guess now uh, Racing Australia and the Patent Committee, the Patent Committee in particular, have not met for, I don't know how long now, Glenn, Ron, Dave. It's been months, if not years. And um, I think this legal action by Racing New South Wales to potentially see if there's any more documents of this nature, which I guess, guys, goes to um, uh, collusion and anti-competitive behaviour. If there's any more documents of this nature, then this will really... Um, change things in Australian racing and may potentially, hopefully, get the states back to the table working together and moving forward. Did all this start uh, from the Tab Everest, do you think? I, I think it had that genesis, Ron, in terms of the divide between New South Wales and Victoria. It's been fairly acrimonious since the Everest was introduced back in 2017 and um, I was asked to write a, a piece in today's Daily Telegraph, Ronnie, basically outlining what's the, the history of of this division. And, and it had its genesis back then in 2017, and it's grown wider, and there'll be a lot of people who'll be um, criticising what New South Wales Racing have done in terms of their expansionism. But what it does show, boys, and what it has shown repeatedly in recent years is there is a huge market in October, through the months of October into November and even into December now for top quality racing. That's been reflected on the days, for example, when the Everest has clashed with the Caulfield Cup or when the Golden Eagle has clashed with Derby Day at Flemington. The winners here are the racing industry participants with the huge prize money and punters. Punters are are betting Mm. in record numbers and they're going to the track in record numbers. So so why... why, the thuggery from them now when they're imitating what we're doing. You're all-star miles, you've got a slot exactly. race in, in Brisbane, yep. you've got a slot race, they're talking about another slot race in Brisbane, they're talking, there's one in Perth, uh, they're mm. putting on other races in general themselves, they're, they're thinking about adding races and moving races, so whoa, I don't understand yep. all this, it's just sour yep. grapes. And it's ridiculous, Ronnie, when you look at, for instance, what's happening with the Melbourne Autumn Carnival this year, they have changed their dates again. Um, the Australian Cup will now clash with the Tancred States. There's no criticism of no. winning Victoria of that move. Um, the All-Star Mile is now on Golden Slipper Day, things like that. So um, rather than say, OK, we've got a huge industry, competition is here to stay, let's just make our um, carnivals the best they possibly can. Um, it, it seems to, to me almost, Ronnie, and tell me if I'm wrong, that 
if you go in towards the Melbourne Spring Carnival, particularly into late October, November, that sacrosanct territory, you can't touch it. it, it it's hypocrisy. Mm. I, I don't understand, boys, the competition type side of things, considering that, what have we got a 12 furlong handicap on the same day as a six furlong sprint? If it was a, a situation where it was the same sort of conditions, the same race, the same distance, you'd go, well, OK, this is going to dilute uh, these races, but I don't understand the, the competition side of things. I understand there's a, a wagering aspect, but if you ask me, it's one of the great punting days now on the Australian mm. racing calendar, the fact that you can have a Tab Everest, you can back a winner there, and you get then half an hour, 40 minutes later, uh, another great race, um, which we all know and love. I I just don't understand. Um, I know that there's been that uh, discussion about, well, you want the best jockeys in the best races, and you want the this and that, but... Um, Look, I don't know a poor jockey, uh, and make a decision if you want to ride here or ride there. You know, but you know what I mean. I, I think it's a very sort of, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys agree um, that that day now, especially Tab Everest Day, considering what we receive as punters and the coverage, uh, is extraordinary, Duff? I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not I'm not in against having feature days in different states, and it does open up opportunities for. We we just don't want the same big jockeys riding in every race. They become too in 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 every group one. They come become too complacent. Everyone's got to get a crack at the uh, the cherry here, and um, I I think it's great. That's why I think I love handicaps. It gives the lightweight jockeys a chance to get involved and get an extra quid. So if we had weight for age racing group ones, uh, we'd have the same jockeys riding in every race because everyone wants the perceived best jockeys and then that makes them lazy because they're already there so i i think it's uh, it's great that we have feature ma- meetings across the board because it gives everyone an opportunity yeah from a business point of view uh, uh, from tab putting the tab hat on here at the moment our business survives on turnover now the, the, do you think why do you think we're betting on four thousand million percent more races than we were betting on 20 years ago it's a thing called the churn and the churn is more investments, more races, more opportunities to bet on. When you're taking a clip of the ticket paramutual-wise, the paramutual pools are going through the toilet and have been for 15 years, right? But the fixed odds part of the business is growing. Now, it's the bookmaking side of things. You know, you've still got to be able to win, but you can't, you can't win if you hold no money. Right, so you've got to give the people an opportunity to have a bet, whether however obscure it is. It's the same as sports betting. When sports betting started a tab in 1998, I think the system could handle a couple of hundred markets. We got a match of NFL on the other side of the world today that's got over 300 individual markets on it. So that's how far sports betting has come in this um, in this world. Race betting is the same as Ray said earlier. COVID was the greatest thing that racing ever got as regards to interest, turnover and the like. Now, we have to hold on to those people now. We cannot sustain the amount of investment that was going on during COVID because people are now moving off and doing other things. But what we do have to try and get is those people to retain that interest in racing to get racing to survive because racing survives on turnover. The clip of the ticket goes back into the game. Uh, Racefields legislations. Why do you think we've got record prize money at the moment? It's all coming from wagering investments. We lose the wagering investment. We lose all... that. That golden egg that's been laid at the moment will disappear. 
One quick point, if I could make it, Dave, um, and to Glenn, you might be able to explain this to me. I was looking through the Racing New South Wales annual report yesterday just to, to find some figures and some tax-free prize money and, and some of the major races. In the annual report, it states that it lists the, the 20 most wagered races in New South Wales now, and the, the top two of the Everest and the Gold Nigger would expect that. But coming in number 11, Glenn, was a benchmark race which is the closer on Everest Day, it is now the 11th most wagered race in New South Wales each year. That, again, is part of this whole new market that has been identified going through the spring into late October and November. You, here you have a benchmark race, which is attracting more punting investment, Glenn, traditional races like the Sydney Cup and the TJ Smith at Group 1 level. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, that Everest Day, Ray, you know, it's mind-boggling the amount of money that's invested on Everest Day um, mm. because even, the, you know, the programming, the timing of the races to keep the major race in Melbourne away from the major race in Sydney with the Everest and um, Caulfield Cup, for example. Yep. They now give them an hour clean air, basically, for people to get involved in the first one then recover, shake themselves off, and then focus on the next one. And that's why that day, at the end of the day, you know, um, that race is going to be so popular because they're, they're, they're that in, involved in the day itself. It's another, it's, it's realistically just another race. And it's a race that has no promotion, has no hype, has no fanfare, whatever you want to say. But it's a day where everyone is betting and that's either the get-out stakes. It used to be the last in Perth if you could put your, your life on hiking. Uh, now it's the last at Randwick. It's its placement. Because they, it's... they've got to get downstairs and get to the concert and listen to some doof-doof. That's right. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's obviously... I had to start with that discussion because, and I appreciate your comments there too, Ray, and also, gentlemen, uh, and there's a f plenty of text on the text line, but it's the front page of, as I said, a national newspaper. There's, uh, what is it, page, the page four spread. So it's a story that's obviously going to develop. Um, you know, I mean, if we're all betting men here, gentlemen, do we think this will ever go away? Will, it, will this sort of stuff ever go away? I mean, it seems like they've been bickering for years and years and years, well before me and maybe well before you guys. I guess well, I hope so. Sorry, Ronnie, yeah. yeah. If they, I'd, love, I'd love to see them put their hand up and say, "I'm sorry, we did the wrong thing. Let's let's mm. get back back in back in business here." And, yeah. Exactly. I'm willing to take evens. They've got more than one document because you don't throw mm. all your bullets the first uh, thing before you've even That's got right. to court. And yeah, last yeah. but not least, um, and here's a text, and maybe you guys can help me here, Mary Ray. Who funds Racing Australia? Oh, well, the the racing industry itself and the PRAs, which is the principal racing authority. So they then nominate the various people to stand on the board um, as representative of their jurisdictions and that's how it's funded. So as I said, it's, people have this perception, understandably, that Racing Australia runs the whole show. Well, it, it doesn't. All it does is effectively enforce the Australian rules of racing yep. and make sure all the jurisdictions are following it. But each state or the, each state's principal racing authority um, uh, has the power to run the, the uh, racing industry in that state. So that's how the industry works. All right, let's talk about the racing on the track and we'll take your calls too. 13.53.53 if you want to get involved uh, with the program. Let's start with Animo uh, because it was sensational Duff in the Apollo. Uh, obviously a lovely ride by uh, J-Mac and I mean even just hearing James Cummings last week saying, oh this horse is dangerously good. Um, it's in for a big preparation and 
world literally is the oyster. Oh, it was just a perfect start. He didn't have too hard a run. It was a sprint home. They've, they've got broke 34 on the way home uh, for only the second time on the day. So everything just turned out perfect. He let him roll forward, James. He found the 1-1, and that was game over from there on in. He cruised up, went to the lead, did his thing, and uh, had a little bit of a bludge the last 100 metres. Um, hinged is very brave. She did uh, uh, fought hard when challenged. Um, Fangirl got too far back. She doesn't have to get that far back, and and she was excellent again. Ice bath good. All those mares are all tied to the hip, aren't they? On their day, they have their turns. And Moanga wide, no cover. Battled on, okay. Beat, not beaten far. But he did his thing. Um, he, he he finds a way, as they say. What did you make of it, uh, Ray? Animo. Oh, just outstanding. And at the point that Ronnie made, um, that the horse just had a bit of a bludge in Ronnie's words, he, he has that tendency, doesn't he, Ronnie, sort of, seizes control of a race and then he, he basically just cruises. Um, he, he knows what he has to do. He doesn't win by huge margins, but um, he's just the headline act wherever he races. And the good news is he'll be back at Randwick in two weeks to run the Chipping Norton Stakes at Group 1 level. And look, long-term, Godolphin are keen to take him overseas, potentially to Royal Ascot, but it all hinges on his form and fitness through the autumn and... Uh, Let's hope we see Animo each and every week, each and every time that he runs in that sort of form. Uh, Ronnie and Glenn, I thought the run of Arapaho, the stayer, was pretty good. He tried to put a sneak through there on the inside top of the straight over 1,400. He ran a really good race first up for a horse who's a handicapper and will get better once he gets to 2,000 and beyond. And he's pretty sharp at his trial leading mm. into that race as well. Now, Munns, just on, uh, obviously, Animo, he, he was well in the top of markets for all these futures and no doubt, and maybe had a little tiny haircut here and there, but uh, was he the best-backed runner in terms of investment on the day? Did they just want to keep truckloading into him at the 160? Uh, yes, Dave, because we spoke on Friday morning and when he was... Um it was probably a dollar eighty-five at that stage, or it might have been might have been a dollar seventy. Um, I'm just trying to think what he was on Friday. I think morning. he was around one seventy because there was a discussion about well, you'd rather oh, yeah. back, take the what one ninety in secret or the one eighty in secret than the one seventy animo. That's what they were yeah, suggesting. Yeah, so you know, and and the uh, Timmy Owen said on Saturday morning they thought he'd drift, but the, the punters didn't allow him to drift, Dave. Uh, whether or not, you know, the way the track was playing probably um, didn't seem exactly to see the possibility for him to drift because uh, there wasn't really anything jumping out of the ground with so many stayers resuming in the race, put it that way. Uh, but but James took took everything uh, basically um, out of the um, out of the equation early doors because albeit he had uh, he had barrier seven, but he was positive early. Uh, and made sure he was away from the inside. You know, he's, he's, um, he had what I had to perceive to be his main dangers with the two Waller mares, which is Fangirl and Hinged. I was astounded that Fangirl didn't make better use of where she was drawn, considering she had all the stayers drawn around her, and she finished up second last. You knew where Hinge was going to be. But James just made sure, you know, he just, you know, tracked up behind them, made sure he was comfortable. And realistically, it was probably a non-event from about the 600 metres because nothing was going uh, to be able to sort of run him down. 
uh, and Fangirl, her, her only option was going to be, and as she did, to go back to the inside. You know, Hinged runs the, the races that she does because she puts herself on speed and out of out of the way. Um, the stayers that were quite surprising that, you know, they were probably so uh, close in the market, like El, El Bodigon and, and Laws of Indices. Laws of Indices are very disappointing. El Bodigon, who's, you know, more known as a 2,000-metre uh, horse, how he was... Well, at one stage, they're shorter than Hinged and much shorter than Hinged astounded me when you consider Hinged was just going to be there in a race with no speed and doing what she does all the time. Now, the English Millennium Boys, uh, look, uh, obviously, um, we knew how good this learning to fly was, but the position she got herself in, has she got a motor on him? Yeah, she's outstanding. She's, she's a real athlete, isn't she? And she's backed it up where um, she made a couple of runs winning it at a boo when she went... Uh, Chad pressed the button and went outside the lead and she toughed it out to win well in fast time and then he read the play in a big field from a wide draw and took his medicine early knowing that the track was playing okay for that on Saturday and she come with that sweeping run to get the job done so very very likeable to the eye and I thought blank to blank was outstanding she melted in the yard and was excellent Kundalini was good. She just didn't get a clean getaway and lost a bit of balance with a bump at the start there, which just may have put her off a little. Lazago, arguably wrong part of the track with Lafazil, and I thought um, Helani was uh, uh, Helini was very very good. The Victorian, um, who just seemed lost, obviously, and um, his effort was uh, excellent. And the other one that captured everyone's attention, maybe more so as a size produce point of view, was Gembare, who, uh, mm. who really hit the line from a, an impossible position. But you, look, you, you, you can't pour holes in the winner in the win of the learning to fly, other than uh, the first race run fast, uh, marginally faster mm. time in Cafe Millennium, which is uh, astounding to think that after what he did wrong, uh, to think he run faster than a pressure race like the Millennium is... It's got, my, uh, got me scratching my head a little. Ronnie, uh, not Ronnie, um, I should say Ray, uh, with this millennium, obviously that news to come out of it, Josh Parr, 20 meetings. Yeah, and basically Josh put his hand up. Um, he was he shifted out when he shouldn't have and it caused the fall. And um, look, fortunately, Tommy Markwand and Dorothy Gale hit the turf pretty hard. Both seemed to have escaped serious injury, but... Look, Josh took his medicine and um, uh, put his hand up immediately. It was an ugly-looking fall, but fortunately, um, both horse and rider have escaped serious injury um, in that incident, and we won't see Josh now for for the best part of um, five weeks now. Now, also, there's a text on the text line here, um, also wanting your comments on Facile. Um, I might come to you here, Munns. What did you make of uh, the overall performance of Learning to Fly? And a comment on Facile, please. Yeah, well... um you know that the it was always going to be a race that was going to be dominated by the fillies, Dave. And as the day wore on, uh, your confidence if you were going to be on learning to fly probably held because of where they were winning. Uh, you probably didn't think it was going to you know straighten for home second last in the run, uh, but you knew at least it'd be in the best part of the track. Um, she was always going to drift. Um, we spoke about that on Friday morning that she would. Uh, she would drift in the market when she was a $2.80 chance at that stage. She got to around about $4.20. I wouldn't say there was a... Uh, well, the best go in the race was Kundalini, but we said that on uh, Friday morning as well, that the gap between them at $2.80 and $7.50 was far too big. At one stage there, they got to $4.20 and $4.80. Uh, 
So they've still managed to run first and third, so that wasn't surprising. Uh, Lazaga was always sort of there in the market with Facile. Uh, Blanc de Blanc was probably the easiest of those in the market. And uh, the only other horse that, that trimmed up in the race to any great extent was Solterre. And they probably realised that went up an $8 chance on Tuesday and next minute it was $23 when, and drawing the outside, well, it, it had to firm in the market because there was no love at all uh, for any of the Colts. And once again, we had the Phillies dominating over the Colts there. Uh, and uh, she's uh, uh, she was favourite for the slipper before the race, learning to fly as a $6 chance, and she firmed into $4 after it. Do you think she deserves to be slipper favourite, uh, Ronnie? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt, no problems with that. Um, you know, she's still unbeaten. She's uh, got adaptability about her. So, yeah, very likeable, uh, very likeable, and... Um, a deserved favourite at this stage uh, with a, mm. a little way to go because it's going to change week to week. And, um, yeah, we've got the Blue Diamond to get through and a few other things. And um, well, at this stage, she, she, she holds her favouritism. And if she comes out and wins the lead-up, she'll she'll probably still hold the, the favouritism still. And what about the key to her, Oh, sorry, Ray. You go, mate. I was just going to say what Ronnie said, adaptability, learning to fly out of the boost. She sat outside leader in the Widden and won, found a way to win. On Saturday, Drew Barrier 15, Chad Schofield um, decided to ride her back and she was still able to win. That's going to stand her in good stead come the Golden Slipper. So the Barrier draw, she's got the ability to overcome it. And Ronnie, also, we saw that with Barber. If you remember in the Golden Gift, he came from near last for that withering run. There he was resuming on Saturday at Sandown, up on speed and basically seizing control of the race early. So both those two two-year-olds have shown the necessary versatility, which doesn't automatically um, rule the barrage or outcome Golden Sipper Day, but it negates the importance of them for both because they can, they can be ridden anywhere in the field. Well, the key to them is that they've both done it a few times. Mm. Uh, where, where, where we had the two Snowden Colts look brilliant at their taboos and now the jury's out on them. Um, but I wouldn't give up uh, with King's Gambit and Don Corleone and, and, and a few others as well. But uh, at least the, you know, the, the Barbers and the Learning to Fly, Barbers done it three times and Learning to Fly has done it twice. Although Barber was half a second outside the Phillies on in the in yeah. the uh, Phillies prelude as well, so just that the little time edge thing is going to just maybe sway punters or, or, or just make them a little nervous. And you know the time can be misleading in times. It's not the full picture that a lot of people might think. Uh, so and, and and yeah, let's just watch things unfold for the next month. What about the winner of the first? Um, extraordinary the performance of the cold. I mean, green as grass, and you know, for him to finish like that, there's there's a stack of ability. Just looking at the time, so I was looking at um, Vince Accardi's times this morning, Duff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cafe Millennium last two hundred eleven thirty eight, uh, and I know obviously they're different races, but uh, learning to fly, its last two hundred uh, was eleven sixty eight. Yeah, well, that's how it looked. He was uh, this, like a jet engine down the outside there, and the overall times was a little stronger as well. So, to think he did that uh, after you know not knowing what he's doing under the pressure of a race rather than a trial for the first 400, 500 metres, and then for him to rally and run the overall time after doing so many things wrong is just 
unbelievable. You'd want to see him do it again, and mm. even if he he could run time like that and do things wrong, he wouldn't be able to do that in the slipper. If he comes out and he's all legs there for the first 100 metres of the slipper, it's all over. He's got no hope. But um, it'd be great to see what benefit uh, from a race-tough run has with him and how he comes on, because he's a very interesting horse. Don Corleone looked very disappointing on paper after being rock hard in the market. And I, I thought Paul was interviewed after the race, and I don't mind his explanation. He said, now the horse did not raise one sweat, even after the race. And then uh, when I took him down the hosing dock, I put the hose on him, hose, kept hosing him, and he said he had the, the the effects of a really hard run. So maybe sometimes these horses, you, you want your horses sweating on hot days just to release a little bit. He may have just boiled up inside that horse, so I'd, mm. I'd be very wary of him next time. He was just... and. Um, also, we could probably, as the day unfolded, we could isolate those horses on the fence. Uh, there was you know, a few lengths disadvantage, so he might not be as bad as what you think. So let, let's have a look at him next time and assess him after that. If they, if they want to uh, throw him out in the market in his next run, I think I might even take the risk. Let's talk about the Tab Light Finger Stakes, guys. Uh, and you're on the, uh, the panel today with Ron Doversey. Uh, Glenn Munsey and also Ray Thomas. I might come to you here, Glenn, uh, with In Secret. Lovely ride by Nash Rewilla, and he had some glowing comments after the race. An amazing ride, Dave. Uh, for for a, uh, a jockey that was uh, thrown onto In Secret uh, for the first up run, she'd missed a start in both the trials. She was slow away on Saturday. The only bloke that didn't panic at any stage, man, woman or child, was Nash Rewilla. And just to see how cool and calm he was in the run, uh, you knew that she had to have something up her sleeve uh, at the 300 metre mark, and it was just uh, a brilliant ride. Uh, situation again here, the, the team in the office made it the lay of the day, so you knew it was going to drift. It probably didn't drift to the extent that you thought it would because uh, it got to $2, and they, they led the charge to get it to $2 after it went up uh, $1.85 chance in the morning. And when you expected to say, right, oh, this will be 210, it'll be 220, they'll join in here and just keep winding it out. Well, it didn't. It just got to $2, and that was the barrier. And in fact, I don't think the, the NOP actually got to $2. It might have SP'd on the NOP, might have SP'd $1.95, because uh, I didn't see $2 on the NOP there, but Tab would, de- yeah, it SP'd $1.95, and they were definitely $2 when they jumped. But um, to go through the rest of them, uh, awesome. Sunshine in Paris, well, uh, she was the second pick in the market. Um, I, I, I couldn't see her at level weights troubling in secret, but she did run a very, very good race there. Uh, I'd be concerned with the others when you consider Sunshine in Paris was coming out of a benchmark 78 uh, and all of these horses had been, you know, whether or not there was just the first up was too much for them. Uh, she was coming off a 49-day break, so she had a little bit of residual fitness there. Uh, Madame Pomery made good ground late, a lot more love, made a little bit of ground. But the rest of them, uh, jury's out, I think. Duff? Uh, she's a sweet filly, isn't she, uh, in secret? She'll want to get out of that bad habit because it can cost you races. She got away with it on Saturday with that cool ride and uh, those other two fillies stepped right up to the mark. Uh, Sunshine in Paris and Cinderella Days, they slept right up. But uh, my eyes are for one horse only here, and that is Madame Pomery. Um, she has developed into a beautiful filly. 
And when she gets to the mile, and I'm tipping I might be with her if she can uh, run well next time, and uh, she'll be primed for the mile uh, third up, and uh, she has returned in magnificent order. All right, let's get to Steve on the line, who's our first caller. G'day, Steve. Morning, boys. How are you? Very good, mate. Uh, what's your topic? Uh, just two for you. Uh, I just wanted to touch on um, that same race that you just talked about. Um, Razina looked like she was making a fair bit of ground up the inside there, Duff, um, at Big Odd. And um, yeah, she just w- your thoughts on Mr Mozart as well, if I could. Well, Rosina, Rosetta is a nice filly. She'd won a stakes race in Melbourne over the spring, and uh, that was at 1,400. So she was doing a little good work late there, and um, uh, there's some, she, she'll be, might be competitive at big odds in the 1,400 next time, and, well, I don't think anyone missed Mr Mozart. Um, he was the unlucky runner of the day. He usually races on the speed. He missed the start. Then he was still going to win bursting through, but they just closed up on him a little, and... Um, he had no uh, no room to lengthen over the concluding stages. He, he's a real little knockout chance in a big race, this preparation. He, mm-hmm. he could even be a Doncaster um, because he's been underrated all the way through and he'll improve off that. There was no, no... The market said he couldn't win on Saturday with improvement to come and um, I thought he excelled. He excelled. Well, they usually ride him on, on speed, but like if you go right back to his one of his first wins with Tommy Berry on, he come from near last, and he can do it from, from the back. He can if he settles. He, he can be an aggressive horse and, a, and an erratic horse on occasions, and he's had a few hard... He was a, he had a hard luck's tail first up last preparation as well, if you remember. So, yep, he, at least he showed he's got a bit of adaptability, but things need to go right for him, and he's got to help himself as far as um, just settling a little better, which he did after that slow start on Saturday, so... Uh, let's hope he can keep his manners intact and uh, he'd be a real threat in in anything. Thanks, boys. Thanks so much uh, for your call. Uh, we'll take some more calls shortly when they come through. That was Steve there. Uh, 13.53.53 is the open line number. 13.53.53 is the open line number if you've got a, uh, a call uh, that you want to get involved with the show or a topic. Um, now, uh, you might be able to help here. Duff, order of entry. In fact, Ray could definitely help here. Order of entry for Golden Slipper. Um, Sid's on the text line. Just wants to know, is there an easy link uh, on the ATC website that we can find or race New South Wales? That's a good point. Um, they don't usually put an order of entry out yeah. until closer to the race, Dave, because okay. there's still 400 horses nominated. For yeah. the slipper. Well, the we're about two weeks off. Work it out is look at their prize money, but then yep. you've got to... Um, you know, yeah. the Magic Millions doesn't count. There is a proportion of the English prize money from Saturday that'll count. Um, yep. Bob's bonuses and the like don't count. Uh, but at the moment, um, be a job for Brett Devine, uh, actually. Oh. Uh, I'm sure Brett's <laughs> tuned in this morning. Um, usually Monday, one of his easiest days. So uh, they, do, they do tend to put... No, he works two days a week, Len. Close to the race. <laughs> well, he, then he's got two days off, though. Uh, uh, and... Port- Dave, I think it's important to yes. note that from next Saturday, the Silver Slipper onwards, each two-year-old race in Sydney, yes. the winner automatically qualifies. So from next week onwards, um, right. Silver Slipper winner, then the Sweet Embrace Skyline through the Todman Riesling and the Pago Pago Sweet Embrace all go straight into the Golden Slipper. I think, boys, by memory, it's just the Golden Gift winner so far, which is Barber. So 
the fill will start taking shape from next Saturday with, with the running of the Silver Slipper. We might have uh, it on, on Thursday, Glenn, with the Golden Path return. We might have well, the, that, funnily uh, enough, you bring that up, Ronnie. Yeah, great segue <laughs> into the Melbourne Golden Path returns on uh, Thursday night. Uh, to Sky Thoroughbred Central, uh, we, you know, we've just got to build up the lead-ups into it, like form line and that, to um, you know, get some audience that are always hanging around for the Golden Path that will come to you on Sky. But also you can catch it on Sky Racing Active App, Glenn, and, and the Sky Racing website, so you can watch it yeah. Yeah, in the, delay There may want. even be a rough chance, Dave, they might put an ad on this week to tell you it's back on, or they might be on <laughs> social media, rather than 700 <laughs> uh, things about black bookers. Uh, Albert's on know, the line. <laughs> Albert. <laughs> G'day, Albert. How are you, mate? How are you, mate? Albert from Kiowa. I haven't spoken to you for a while. How are you, boys? Yeah, Very good, Albert. Albert. What's, on, what's on your mind, mate? mate? I just wanted to speak to Glenn that Guys from Kyma Golf Club, they take Michael Costa uh, over in the uh, Arab United Arab Emirates States. Saturday night, he won the first two races, six to one and five to one. The running double, Glenn paid two dollars fifty. Last well, night, he won no, the Albert, first two. Albert, races. I'd be first telling the blokes at the Kyma Golf Club Punters Club. Don't be taking running doubles on um, United Arab Emirates races that are run at two o'clock What's in the, the story, morning mate? when the pools are five dollars in the pool. Yeah. Well, they would have been I better mean, taking the fixed a lot of the Australian punters back, Michael Costa. I beg I your mean, pardon. They, well, a lot of the Australian people follow Michael Costa and Jan Van Overmeer. Saturday night they won the first two at six to one and five to one. Then uh, paid two dollars fifty the running double for a dollar. Then last night, seven dollars and two dollars fifty, and for a dollar paid a dollar. Yeah, well, there's nothing in the pool. You know what? If you're taking the the fixed odds double, you're on it at forty two dollars or forty two to one the first one instead of two dollars fifty, and you're on the next one at seventeen dollars fifty instead of money back. What does that yeah. tell you? They got to be taking. The f- he's going good over there, boys. Yeah, he's flying. He's flying. He's a he's a terrific young trainer. He's got his own methods and uh, and, and, and had a hand in the first winner in Brisbane on Saturday, Rupert's house. I think he actually bought it as a yearling. Yeah, I think he may have. Yeah, he and he, then he left takes, it with Bjorn. Yeah, he takes all mm. the heart scores and he's a, a new age trainer and um and obviously they they picked that up and signed him up for over there and he's doing a good job for the uh, uh, for his owners over there. Did his, owner, his owner something it had trained? like eight winners or something. Uh, the previous trainer that he replaced had trained something like eight winners, no more than eight winners in the previous couple of years yeah. that he'd been there. I think he, he was told, going like a bastard. He, yeah. he, he told the owner, he said, I'll train that in the first couple of months uh, mm. or, you know, basically I'll walk out. And I think he trained a treble the first night he was there. Mm. I think he said, if you let me hand pick a few horses that aren't going any good in Europe and bring them back, um, I'll, I'll do that, and I think the owner let him do that because he, he had a lot of horses in Europe that were just, you know, a length or two off being uh, where he wanted them, and uh, they, I think that they built the stable up a bit like that as well. Thanks for your call, Albert. Uh, and Munns, come on, sort out those uh, running doubles, mate. Um, mm. Now we're going to Sean. Sean's on the line. G'day, Sean. Should be probably taking the duets as well. <laughs> do they have odds and evens on? Uh, oh, don't. Uh, Sean, hello, Sean. <laughs> Come on, Munns, don't stream up any more than he is, mate. <laughs> mate, uh, what about Cam on, on, on Friday night? Uh, dashing legend. What a brilliant ride by our ballot. Do you think he's got any more in than maybe Benchmark 74 rating? Is he what, sorry? 
Dashing Legend on yeah, Friday night at Canterbury. He won the last race at Canterbury on Friday night. Yeah, do you think it's got any, any more in it? Maybe, say, Benchmark 74 going to go any, any better than that, you reckon? Well, his overall form tells you, uh, albeit that was a... Uh, what was that on? That was a 72 on Friday night. He carried 58 and a half in the 72. He's had he's had nine starts in his life for three wins and five placings, and his three wins have come at uh, his his last uh, five runs. So he's there. He he run third in the Tap Craig to Opal Ridge in Pericles. Now that's not bad form, albeit on a very very heavy track. And that was the day of. Uh, wasn't that the day that they said you can't go near the inside? And then he yeah. run third in the Brian Crowley to Cote and Thronbone. So, you know, he, he graduated from a maiden at Hawkesbury to a benchmark 68 at Canterbury, albeit on rain-affected tracks. That track still had a little bit of give on it on Friday night. So, um, you know, he's had four starts on the soft with three wins and a placing. Um, but he, he, every single run he's had has been very, very consistent. So, you know, he's he probably got to come... Uh, to town now on a Saturday because he'd be uh, close to a, a 78er. Now, um, it would be interesting to see if he can transfer his consistent runs on top of the ground. She's a good filly, boys, and um, she was stakes placed as a two-year-old as well, and she's better on firmer tracks, and she was plagued by those heavy tracks in spring, but Team Hawks will find the right race for her. And, boys, did you happen to see Team Hawks win a race yesterday at Bendigo with a horse called Smashing Eagle. He lived up to his name. He was first up from the spell, absolutely belted his rivals, lightly raced, really promising, and I think we'll see both um, uh, Smashing Eagle and Dashing Legend uh, getting to stakes racing pretty soon, boys. Okay, thank you very much for that, Ray. Now, our next caller is Kevin. Kevin's on the line. G'day, Kevin. Hello. Hi, Kevin. What's on your mind, mate? Uh, I backed the horse it's in the language on Saturday. And uh, the horse is called Vanelli. Yep. In the last race at Randwick. And yes. Regan Barless is a jockey, and he's always he's rode at the last couple of starts. And it's trained by Gail Waterhouse and Adrian Bott. Now, would he instruct to pull that horse up? Because the horse generally leads. And it did not do a thing. For the first 400, you could see the horse, he, he was pulling its head, it was pulling its head off. And it should have been up in front. Yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised he wasn't up front. I think the theory may have been that he went from 53.5 to 61.5 and, and he had 8 kilos eight. more. But, um, yeah, yeah I look, he was uh, up in weight. Because he, why was in weight? Because he was firstly rated one of the best horses in that race. True, true. And and he done absolutely nothing. He didn't lead. He didn't do anything. And the report we got off the jockey on the Tuesday that Regan Barless rated in a, a, a free gallop at Randwick over a thousand. He said that horse has felt the best he's ever felt. Now it's won its last couple and ran second and done didn't even lead or do anything out of the balance. Yeah, well, yeah the stewards report the stewards report mm. says um, he yeah. began he began awkwardly, which is not a good start for an on runner and passing uh, 
Yeah, so it must... Uh, it, was, it did not begin, and despite being ridden along in the early stages, he failed to failed muster, muster. muster sufficient back. speed to do so. Back he, in distance. Yeah, he was Coming back, back in distance, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they did ask the question, the stewards, and uh, they, they he did miss the start, and then he got a bit of a squeeze, and he just couldn't muster his speed be, be uh, besides, he did try to push him up there, and he just didn't show his natural speed. He he may just have been a little bit flat. Yeah. And then when he sort of when he over raced there at around about the six or seven hundred, Regan's probably said to himself, "I've tried to get forward on this thing here. I'll, I'll just try to give him a rest. Yeah. If he presses on, and next minute he's four wide outside the lead, he's likely to drop out and get beat a furlong." Yeah, you know, he just wasn't. He may you know he may have found his level now that he won that stakes race. And it's pretty hard to jump, you know, where it wasn't a strong stakes race as well. So he's really paid the price for that. He's going to be hard to place. All right. Um, now, before, gents, we uh, wrap up and get horses to follow, the text on the text line, Dave, can you tell me why Opal Ridge is out of the country championships market? Did it get injured? No, not injured. It's absolutely flying at the moment. Uh, spoke with Luke Pepper last week. Not targeting that race. They're going to go to the English Sprint. So the English Sprint is where they're heading with Opal Ridge. And that really market opened up wide uh, last week because obviously It's Me was priced in that market. Um, so I think you'll find, is it still e- easy? No, um, it's Me's been taken out, Dave. She broke down and she's been retired. Yes, yes. So, But she was favourite. She was in the market. Yeah. So we had Opal Ridge in the market. There was another horse too in the market which um, fell away. And I think Cody Morgan's now got the favourite. Uh, Ezekiel's that still hasn't favourite. Cha- yeah, Ezekiel, yeah. $7.00. I couldn't um, find the market this morning it's, uh, for that race. It is there. Yeah, it's yeah. there. The the big firmers, though, or the ones that um, are sort of we saw firming up it, yeah. just from their price. I mean, I've been trying, obviously, uh, for Matt Kelly um, from down there at at, uh, at Canberra and um, Gallon Star there at $17 yeah. from the West. Yeah, so there I mean, was money but, yesterday, Dave, for Tested or Silence, who ran a very, yes. very good race on the inside on Saturday. Yep. Should be favourite. Uh, and it was $15 into $9 yesterday. It should be favourite, Duff? Should be favourite, yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. $9 currently for that one. Uh, let's get some horses to follow, because I know, Ray, you've got some commitments at 10 o'clock uh, with our Radio Tab sister station in Queensland. Um, your horses to follow for the Sydney meeting. We'll get these out now. Uh, yeah, for, uh, oh, sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, aside from the champ, obviously, Animo and Evening Seagull, but I thought... I think Ronnie mentioned earlier, Mr Mozart, impossible to miss what happened. And uh, he's got a good race in him um, very, very soon. And I'm not too sure how much longer Joe Pride will keep pressing forward with think about it. But I think he showed on Saturday when ridden um, patiently early, he really attacks the line. He's five from six now, a lot of upside with him, but really keen on where Mr Mozart goes next. And the good thing about him, Dave, is it doesn't matter if it's wet or dry with that horse. He handles all track conditions. Ron, your horses to follow? Yeah, some meetings you struggle to find one, but when you get these meetings where you have a lot of nice horses resuming, you, there's a handful of them. But I'll, um, while agreeing with Mr Mozart, Mr Mozart, I'll single out three others. Madame Pomery, uh, Bellatrix Black. Give her another run or two, and she'll be ready to win the right race. Uh, resume an ex-Kiwi. Wants further, and that horse we just mentioned there, Testator uh, Silence. He's um, he's run at that level, was excellent on the wrong part of the track, and uh, I don't think he'll have too many problems qualifying if he's in order. He behaved himself a lot better as well, so I think he's right in the country championships this year. Madame Pomery, Bellatrix Black, and Testator Silence. All right, and Glenn, your horses to follow? 
Oh, well, definitely Mr. Mozart, Dave, and realistically, anything in that uh, in the uh, the midway or the highway that was down on the inside that's going back to an easier race in the bush. And just um, a comment, boys. I'm, I know that you're obviously working on Sky Thoroughbred Central, so it's difficult to keep an eye on what's happening down in, in Melbourne. But that CF4 stakes, and obviously we had those Blue Diamond preludes. Charm Stone went down, which uh, was obviously the big sprue course. Um, and uh, uh, obviously Godolphin uh, had a good day down there with their youngsters. But uh, Jackano getting that to CF4 duff on protest. Um, Gentleman Roy was, uh, look, look, you know, obviously tough for the Hayes boys to lose it on protest, a group one, but... He's pretty smart, this cold, isn't he, Jack? And we might see him in Sydney at some point. Yeah, he was excellent. Well, he's two from two now, this prep. Um, I'm not saying a controversial process, but a close one, um, mm. I, I must say. There was nothing in that. And um, considering if you're on Animo in the Cox Plate and you're on uh, Gentleman Roy, you'd have a sick feeling in your mouth um, with both of those, one being up yeah. and one, one being dismissed because they're very similar, although probably different stages of the race. So anyway, no argument. Uh, he's a good colt, Jack. I know he, he, he did it well there, beating the older horses second up. Exactly right. Have a great uh, Monday, guys. Thanks for coming on the program, and uh, we'll get those horses to follow up on our social media streams very, very soon. See you, guys. Thank you. On Sky Sports Radio, the traffic report.